This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, we take a good look at the Josh Giddy effect, the crisis deepens in the Indian Premier League, the true value in learning to tie your shoes up, <laughs> and play on 21.8 metres. Oh, massive week once again, Stewie. So much to talk about. Let's go. Stewie, as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what did you miss? Well, what caught my attention this week was something really cool out of the Major League Baseball. Los Angeles Angels pitcher Shohei Otani did something the other day that hasn't been done in nearly a century. Ooh. So it was something that hasn't been done since Bay Ruth as well, which makes it even cooler. Last Tuesday or Wednesday over here, Otani became the first pitcher since June 13th, 1921 to start a game while leading the Major League in home runs as the pitcher. Yes, okay. So Very as it nice. stands as well, he's still equal top with four other guys on nine homers. Uh, that may have changed today, but I haven't actually had a chance to look. But I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that is very cool, anytime. especially given the time that it's been since yeah, the last time it happened. Something very historical. And another thing as well, something yeah. I missed the other day. Hello. So for those of you who can't see through a podcast, which should be everyone, mm. Nath, what are you seeing? Well, it's basically the old footy record, but for basketball. I forgot they did it. They did. So Ned Coton, general manager with a lot of hair here. Indeed. So to set the scene for this for, for people who obviously can't see this, which is everyone, <laughs> uh, back in 1998 and 99, we had season tickets to go and see the Wildcats. Now, one of the weeks I decided to go and hang out with a friend on a farm in Bindoon and my entire family and Nathan as well, who used to come along with, with my family, so they all got upgraded to courtside tickets while I wasn't there. Now, a couple of weeks later, we, we come back to the next game against the Canberra Cannons and I get upgraded on my own. And I'm sitting courtside as like a 15-year-old, basically, hmm. just uh, yeah, enjoying life and managed to find myself a copy of the record for there. And if I remember correctly, Mike McKay had a shot to win the game and it rimmed out. Oh, there you go. They had a decent team too. They had... Uh... Damien Ryan, albeit quite young, but he was a good young player. Melvin Thomas, Siobhan Scales. Yeah, okay, maybe not that good. Super old, <laughs> su- super, old Vasilievich, su- super old school Ray Borner. Yeah, it was a game we should have won by a lot more. But. So the Wildcats imports that season were Clint McDaniel and who would it have been? Probably Scotty Ju- Fisher. Dewey Michaels. Oh, Dewey Michaels, yeah. Yep. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Very nice. Ah, so at this stage, Stewie, the Melbourne Tigers were top of the table at 15 and 6. Perth Wildcats, 10 and 12. Yeah, that was a really big win for us, actually. It probably allowed us to scrape back into the top six. Well, we know the last time the Wildcats missed the playoffs was 1986, so they did recover. Very good. Mm. So at that stage, Gazy was leading the league in points per game at 33.5. Brad Key rebounds 14. Daryl McDonald assists 7.6. Brett Wheeler field goal 62% for the Titans. Would have been their first season, I guess. One of their first, yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Very nice indeed. How about yourself, mate? Oh, Stewie, lots of things. Uh, I'll follow your lead with the uh, American stuff as well. So the NFL draft happened, obviously, uh, last week. There were five quarterbacks in the top 15 picks and eight through the first three rounds, which is the most in the common draft era. There were offensive players for the first seven picks, which is the first time that's happened since 1967. Normally, there's at least one defender in the top five. And it was the first time ever that at least five wide receivers were taken in each of the first three rounds. Mm. And I feel like my Colts really needed one, and we got one in the seventh round. Mm, nice. So that was a bit shit. 
actually. <laughs> okay. I would have preferred one higher <laughs> yeah, up. True. Good but uh, hopefully we uh, shot up our defence, although I see our draft grade wasn't that good. So that was what Mel Kuyper thought. Anyway, a couple of other things. I see that former New South Wales Blue and Manly Sea Eagle Tony T-Rex Williams are signed with the New York Freedom in the North American Rugby League. And then, oh, Stewie, it's not a good story, but Gymnastics Australia, there's been some real bad stuff come out of that and uh, it's ongoing. So Sport Integrity Australia has revealed that it's conducting seven investigations into abuse in gymnastics uh, and it supported the recommendations from the Australian Human Rights Commission, which found that Gymnastics Australia had failed to protect sport from systemic risk factors, and I quote, for child abuse, neglect, misconduct, bullying, abuse, sexual harassment and assault towards athletes. And it's not been a good sport for that sort of stuff. We know that there's been some pretty horrible stuff that has come out of the States in the last couple of years uh, or all the way up to the college level. But this is, I mean, I heard a story uh, of a girl who was told she was too fat for being 20 kilos at age 11. Mm. I heard on Talkback on Monday there was a lady who called up and had a stress fracture in her foot for 20 years because they told her that she was just faking it and so she never got it checked out. She had a hip replacement at 17. Oh, my God. So, yeah, there's been some really bad stuff. If I tell you what, if I was a parent, I don't know if I'd be ushering him into well, gymnastics. I know you've got no, two young girls. I will not be. It's hard, though, isn't it? Because if, if that's their dream and that's what they want to do, you don't want to stand in the way of their dreams. So it's, it's really tricky. Mm. Not a nice story there, but we do have to talk about the bad with the good. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I was actually down in Mandurah with the folks over the weekend. Actually, we went out to a gorgeous hidden gem that's the Cape Bouvard Winery and Brewery. Bit of a, uh, a plug there for them. Oh, yeah. You always like to give WA Tourism a plug. Got to. So I went down there with the old man for a couple of pints on Sunday, and as a result, only saw the derby that day. So I missed a fair bit of the football. Didn't expect to nearly miss a boil over of the highest kind with Melbourne and North Melbourne, though, which was a little bit closer than I think. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. It was. They kept the door open for far too long. That's it. How about yourself, Nath? Uh, well, I actually missed the Wildcats and Breakers game on Sunday, uh, which from all accounts was an absolute cracker back and forth. And the reason I did, and well, maybe we'll just transition straight through, is because I was watching the Adelaide 36ers and I've wanted to watch as much Josh Giddy as I can of late. And I've done a lot of binge watching. <laughs> I reckon I've probably seen two thirds of their, of their games now this season. The only team I've seen more is the Wildcats, who I, of course, support. And that's because Josh Giddy has nominated for the NBA draft, which comes as an absolute surprise to no one. Yeah. I thought he already had, to be honest. I yeah, didn't right. even realise. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. Not too long until the playoffs begin. And obviously the fade for Cade, as a lot of people are calling it, which is <laughs> basically people tanking to try and get the draft rights to Cade Cunningham. That, that is well and truly hit another level. But, yeah, we did want to focus on Giddy. He's all over the place on these boards. One minute you look, he's... 20th, the next minute he's 11th, then he's 13th, then he's 25th. You just, you don't know where he's going to land. They talked about the Raptors being interested in in him at, what, 7th or 8th, if that's where they end up. So That would be huge. It would. That would would be huge. So, yeah, I mean, I've seen in the last few days him at 11 to play with Russell Westbrook, Bradley Beal and the Washington Wizards, and then 13 to play with the Splash Brothers and Draymond Green in Golden State. It's hard to know until the season's done, of course. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, I guess the question is, what do people who don't know much about Giddy need to know? You've mentioned it yeah, a lot. So. Yeah, that's that's kind of why we wanted to talk about it, because I have seen a lot of things on Twitter and a lot of people in the States knocking him. And I'm, and I'm surprised that, I don't know if it's xenophobia per se, but they tend to really deride the international players and not give them any credit. And when we think about lately, guys like Luka Doncic, the Bogdanovich boys, 
uh, Kristaps Porzingis, the list goes on and on. Ben Simmons, even, you yeah, know. If you go back further, guys like Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, internationals have dominated long enough. For, Akeem Olajuwon yeah, going well, back to the 90s. Back. I mean, yeah, yeah. some crazy good players. So so people seem to knock him, I think, just because he's international. We thought we'd, we'd uh, talk about it a little bit because we have seen it and we wanted to, to provide a bit of context and provide a bit of information, I guess, to those people that haven't had a chance to see him play. And look, I've been really bullish on him from day one. I honestly do believe he's the real deal. It's not just because I'm Aussie. And for those that have listened to us will know that I'm not convinced about Mojave King. I'm not convinced about Harry Froling either. So I'm not just talking him up because he happens to be from my country. I try to be as objective as possible. I really don't think those two will make the NBA. I don't know how you feel about those two. I probably agree. Um, but But I'm bullish on Giddy. I really think that if he'd played college in the States, he could quite possibly be close to a top five pick. Now, the general consensus is that the top five is pretty locked in. And then from there, he'll probably go somewhere between sixth and 15th. I think he could go as high as sixth. And I'd be surprised if he drops out of the lottery. And that's because he just has the things that you can't teach. Before I get there, though, I wanted to give a few pieces of context. So first of all, he's only 18 and a half. He's not actually turning 19 till October. So that's nearly six months away. So he's nearly a full year younger than the Cade Cunninghams, uh, Jalen Suggs, a lot of these guys that are projected in the lottery. So he's got another year of development and growth to, to go. He's playing in a man's league. Every time you hear experts talk about the NBL, they always talk about how physical it is. I've heard Jay Billis mention it on broadcast before. Jonathan Giovoni mentioned it on the NBL podcast with Liam Santamaria the other day. So he is playing with men. He is playing with guys that like pushing people around. It's not a cupcake league, as our friend Corey Homicide always says. He leads the league in assists, a league that was the last stop for LaMelo Ball before he came the number three pick. One little thing I will say about that as well, he's actually on track to record the most assists per game since Darnell Me in 2004-2005. Wow. And obviously we have to remember that was a 48-minute game back then. And this is another piece of context that we need to give people. So a lot of people are looking at his stats and they're comparing them to Lamelo's as well. The NBL has followed FIBA rules for quite some time now, and so they're only 10-minute quarters. So there's eight less minutes than an NBA game. And that is a really important context. So when you say, what's what's his assist? Is that like 7.6? 7.67 as of yesterday. Yeah, and that's in a 40-minute game league. Yeah, so if you extrapolate that out to a 48-minute game, takes it up to about nine point something, which, you know, if you're talking NBA comparisons, that would put him in the top. Yeah, two, well, two nine assists a game is pretty bloody good. It's, yeah, it's yeah. And, he, and he's been getting more than 10 a game, nearly every game for over a month. So he's been improving as time has gone on, which is why he's rising in these draft boards. But the Lamello thing provides an interesting yardstick at a time when there is a lot of attention here in Australia and New Zealand for the NBL. Incidentally, I saw RJ Hampton had 16, 10 and 7 for the Magic yesterday. He's probably going to be a big benefactor from being traded to a oh, yeah, fairly average team. Definitely. But... He's getting more opportunity. And speaking of, Jay Sean Tate, who played for the Sydney Kings here last year, he's averaging 11, 5 and 2 over there in the NBA for Houston. And again, crap team, you know, good opportunity. Yeah. But these are blokes that have played in the NBL recently. So if you look at their stats, you can give some sort Sort of comparison. So, so age is a really important context. The length of quarters is a really important context. Pedigree is really important too. So his dad, Warwick Giddy, played for the then Melbourne Tigers in the league, 
was, you know, not a superstar player by any stretch of the imagination and a similar height. So they're both about six eight, but he was a big guy. He was one of the best role players, though, that the league has seen. In that's terms right, of yeah. He knew what he was doing. And, and he'd, rebounds, set screens. That's right. Set hard screens, grab rebounds, do all that kind of workman stuff. And I've heard Andrew Gaze say, and again, Andrew Gaze is really bullish on Giddy too, which I think is, is something to keep in mind because Gaze has been around the NBA, obviously played for the Spurs, but he's got a lot of contacts there and he's stayed involved with the Aussies and the Americans who have been in Australia coaching over there as well, guys like Brett Brown and stuff. So he's pretty switched into the NBA. So he's been really bullish on Giddy. And he said that his dad, Warwick, has never let him get a big head. He's always kept him grounded. And you can see that in interview. And he doesn't seem like an arrogant guy. And indeed, maybe that's one of the knocks. And <laughs> maybe he could be a little bit more selfish. Yeah. But but that's that's really important context, I feel, for people. So he's been he's lived and breathed basketball since he was born, basically. It's it is interesting that you say that about the needing to be a bit more selfish sometimes. And I do look sometimes at the amounts of shots that he's taking, and even sometimes the types of shots that he's taking, he may need to sort of temper the three ball a little bit. Yeah. Not an amazing shooter. No, his stats, his percentages aren't great, are they? But at the same time, I think that's what's held LaMelo Ball in such great stead over in the NBA is that he is very much a past-first point guard. Yes. And I think a lot of people will want him to be that. Yes. The other thing, though, I guess if you look at it, he's had the triple-doubles. He's had, I think, two of the last three games. Well, the first Australian to ever get two tri- back-to-back triple-doubles in the NBL. So absolutely, yeah, at age 18. So he's had seven double-figure rebounding games this season. He's had another three with eight or nine. The only thing I guess that really worries me is his turnovers. So I didn't check them in yesterday's game, but I know he had 17 in the previous three games combined, which kind of gets lost in the triple-double talk. Yeah, and look, I'll tell you what, for the second triple-double, if his teammates had hit open shots, he would have had about 20 assists. Brandon Paul alone missed five or six open shots. Yeah, but look, I mean, he's going to be a great addition to any team. and The coaching that he'll get over there in America will be Second to none, obviously. So he's going to get a lot more work done on how to back smaller opponents in, what to do with your positioning, your body, all of that sort of stuff. And one of the knocks is his body, and he is very skinny, but that's something that can be easily fixed with, again, NBA nutritionists. He's get the absolute best of the best, creme de la creme preparation with his own personal chef and everything, get in the weight room. So I'm not too worried about that. He's probably the same size as Lamelo Ball. Let's be fair. Yeah, well, that's right. So, that's right. Yeah, and and the knocks, I guess, with with the percentages and the turnovers. I mean, it's not unusual for an eighteen year old. It's it's not all that surprising that an eighteen year old starting in a man's league would shoot a little bit worse than. I think his mechanics are good. Do you see any problem with his no, mechanics? No, mechanics are fine. Yeah, so so I think you're right. I think maybe he does look for the three ball a little bit too much. I wonder if that's because he's been told to show the scouts that he has range because mm. he is capable of hitting it. He's at 31%, so it's not hideous, but it's just not that good. The reason I'm so bullish on him is that he has the things that you can't teach. So he sees the floor beautifully. He has excellent poise. He has A-plus basketball IQ. He's an elite passer and playmaker. He's capable of a pinpoint full-court pass for a score, as well as a little flashy behind the back or over the shoulder. He does what a point guard should do. He controls the pace. He throws a good entry pass to a big man, which, you know, should be a given. But (laughs) Josh Richardson, for example, couldn't throw an entry pass to a big guy to save his life. He's a lost art. Uh, And... and Although people have knocked his athleticism, it's it's not 
an F grade athleticism. He's sneaky athletic. Yeah. So, so he's not a great one-on-one defender. I think that's partly because of maybe a lack of strength, but he plays the passing lane superbly. And I've seen him take a steal all the way for a dunk. I've seen him come from the weak side and have some pretty impressive blocks. So, okay. He's not the most athletic guy in the world, but if you've got two guys in front of you, one of them's a B grade athletic player, but a plus, you know, basketball IQ. And the other is an A plus athletic player with, a B basketball IQ, at the point guard position, you're probably going to go for the guy with the better IQ. And if this is what he's like now at 18, I hate to think what he's going to be like at 25. It's scary how good he can be. Mm. And then I guess the only other thing, a lot of people are looking at the stats and saying, oh, LaMelo averaged five or six more points per game. There's more context to add there too. LaMelo was handed the keys to that team on a pretty average team, let's face it. Very average. And expected to do everything. And I dare say the LeVar ball, his dad probably had a bit of influence. You're only He's only coming to play for your team if he gets to basically do it all. Well, it's easy to forget that Aaron Brooks was the other big name on that team. And, and he did his ACL fairly early in the season. Which exactly. Basically, yep. as you say, meant that that was LaMelo's team. Yep, yep. Whereas Josh is playing with, okay, they're not in playoff contention completely they could still get there it's going to be a little bit touch and go but he's playing with guys like Daniel Johnson who just played his 350th game and has been a perennial all NBL team player he's playing with Isaac Humphreys who's played in the NBA and would like to get back there he was he was with the Atlanta Hawks and obviously he was a Kentucky Wildcat and also he's playing with Brandon Paul who once played in the NBA as well and he wants to he wants to get his own so it's a very different situation. I think if you put Josh Giddy on that Hawks team from last season, he probably would have had identical numbers to Lamelo. He would have scored an extra five or six points a game. So we're very bullish on him. We do think he'll be an excellent player. The defense is going to be a little bit iffy, but the the offensive capabilities, and as I say, the things that you can't teach, that's what really makes him a special player for mine. Yep. Oh, I think any team would be very, very lucky to have him. And I think there's a lot of guys that will be watching him very, very closely. And, and I think the other thing is the fact that it's something that Liam Santamaria brought up on NBL Overtime was the fact that he's actually still playing. You know, all of these guys finished months ago when the NCAA tournament. Yeah, finished, that's right. Yeah. And he's been playing right through. So he's still a lot fresher than these guys. So, yeah. I think well, and he also has an opportunity to impress. He'll be fresher in their minds because it's happened more recently. Yep. Yeah. He will be a great pickup. He will. He will. And look, he might shut it down if they fall out of playoff contention. I'd love to see him sneak into that final fourth spot and for him to go off in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see that. Love to. Bit more NBA, Shui. Yeah, look, before we get into some of the, the big things that are going on, I just want to start off with something really cool. So one of our mates on a group chat we're part of presented us with a really insane fact the other day. In 2016, at the end of the season, the bottom four teams in the Eastern Conference were the Philadelphia 76ers, the Brooklyn Nets, the New York Knicks, and the Milwaukee Bucks. Fast forward five years mm. later, the top four teams in the Eastern Conference are, drum roll, <laughs> the Philadelphia 76ers, the Brooklyn Nets, the New York Knicks, and the Milwaukee Bucks. Yep. Not in that order. And if you look at the top five teams in the Western Conference this year, the Jazz, Suns, Clippers, Nuggets, and Lakers, in 2016, the only team out of those five that was in the playoffs were the Clippers. Mm. So there's been a real change in the dynamics of the NBA. Well, some would say that's showing that the draft system works. It does. Just tell that to the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> Oh, bloody diva. What are you doing? So, Stewie, we saw something recently done by a guy that countless absolute superstars in this league have never, ever done before. And I can't help but think of Tony Delk. 
<laughs> like obscure guys to score 50. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Porter Jr. During the end, he had 50 points and 11 assists, Chewie. An incredible performance. Yeah, broke the record for the youngest player with that. LeBron had the previous record at 23, so he's broken it by about three years. Wow. But um, as I mentioned before, the fourth youngest to have 50 in a game behind Brandon Jennings, LeBron James, and Devin Booker. So very, very incredible. And also the, the day after being fined $50,000 for going to a strip club. <laughs> yeah. And so all, of, all the obvious jokes about, oh, well, they don't need Harden anymore because they've got a guy who's scoring 50 and going to strip clubs. Yeah. So after all the shit he's been through with that, the Cleveland incident, two things become very clear. Number one, he does some stupid shit. But number two, he's very talented and resilient. Yes, indeed. Yes. And, and the mismatch guys had a really interesting profile on him and kind of detailed some of the struggles he's gone through. So we really hope that he can kind of keep all that negative stuff away and hopefully have a very good career. Like I invoked memories of Tony Delk, but it is a very different situation. He's got all the promise in the world if he's doing this at that age. And look, a team that has Christian Wood will in all likelihood get a top two or three draft pick given how bad they're going at the All moment. of a sudden, Houston maybe aren't looking so bad, aren't mm. they, potentially for the future? Exactly. Yeah. Now, I guess the next big thing, Stewie, is has Jokic really sewn up that MVP? Because the Nuggets are 9-2 and two since Jamal Murray went down, which is a magnificent effort. I don't think he has. I really don't. I honestly thought he would have gone like super mega nuclear by now, but I actually think there's a couple of other players that can really, really take a lot of the credit for just how well Denver are doing. Well, another Porter Jr., I dare say. It is. The first one definitely is Michael Porter Jr. He's on pace to become the first player to average more than 15 points and five rebounds a game in his second season while shooting 50% from the field and 40% from three. Mm. So very, very impressive. And, of course, last season in the playoffs, he was asking for more opportunity. Well... Well, this, he's got it. This is, <laughs> Here this it is, is. This is why. I mean, yeah. Well, yes, true. He didn't have a great game today, but before that, he was averaging 25.6 and 6.7 rebounds since the injury. And when you're that young, you are entitled to a bad game. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course, it does happen. And then the other player, I guess, that's been the other big surprise is Faku Kampaza. Now, he has absolutely blown me away with his play in the last few games. Yeah, I saw the uh, Clippers game, the Clippers-Nuggets game on the weekend, and he's relishing the opportunity too, absolutely. So he's had two of his three 10-plus assist games in the last 10 since, obviously, since Murray injury. Murray went down, yep. Had a 19.10 assist, six rebound game against the Pelicans on Thursday. He had five steals against the Lakers yesterday. He's getting under player's skin, that game that you were talking about. He actually drew a flagrant one foul on Paul George. He basically pissed him off enough that he sort of threw him to the ground. So it's been really great to watch. And we also have to remember that at the moment, the Nuggets are playing with one player starting for them that started in the in last year's conference semifinals. Yeah, yeah, well. Now, Paul Millsap is still playing for them, but he's coming off the bench. And he's playing okay too. Yeah. Will Barton injured again, as usual. Yep. Made a class. But then you've got Jeremy Grant's left. You've also got Gary Harris has left and obviously the injury to Murray. So, See, I feel like you're making the case for Jokic here. Oh, look, you can certainly say a lot for Jokic. He's playing a phenomenal season. And he's only missed one game. And I know that you're going, are you going to mention Embiid? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, there's a lot of guys that you could mention. Yeah. Well, there are, as we said last week. Yeah, a lot of them have missed a lot of games. And, and that is a big tick for Jokic, obviously being that big, the pounding that his body takes every single night. I, look, I'm impressed by him. I don't think he'll win it, but he'll be pretty close. Oh, okay. I, I'll be very disappointed if he doesn't win it. So another player, I guess, that's in that MVP candidate category, I guess, that we're talking about is Luka Doncic. 
He is on an absolute tear right now. 30 or more in six of his last eight games. He joined Oscar Robertson, Magic Johnson, and Russell Westbrook as the only guys in history with a 30-point, 20-assist triple-double. Mm. But he's also picking up a heap of technical fouls. Yes, one away from a suspension. Well, he had two in a really ugly loss against Sacramento when they weren't playing with De'Aaron Fox, Harrison Barnes, or Tyrese Halliburton. Ouch. Yeah, Halliburton's done for the season. He is, which is a real shame. As you mentioned, yeah, one technical short of an automatic suspension at one of the biggest times in the year, basically because, you know, play-in tournament. Yeah. We'll get there in a sec too. We we will. But this is one of these things. I'm finding a lot of the European players are struggling with this. I mean, Jokic is another one who constantly needs to be dragged back from the referees. <laughs> so I don't know whether it's just... They like, get away with more in the EuroLeague or something. Potentially, like. but it's just, it's just really not great timing. And I'll tell you what, the two techs that he picked up in that game against Sacramento, one of them I can kind of understand. He, you know, he thought he got fouled. Play, Remonstrated. Know, play on was called. Yep. But the second one, there was just no need for it. The game was over. 30 seconds left. Just walk off the court. Yeah, yeah. So yep. very, very silly. Now, yeah, as you mentioned, the, the play-in tournament, this is something that he and Mark Cuban and now LeBron James have been very vocal about. Yes, well, LeBron said whoever came up with that shit ought to be fired, if I'm not mistaken. Now, what are these two teams, the Mavericks and the Lakers? Yeah, having, having yeah. and right what did now? LeBron say about the play-in tournament this time last year? Well, I don't know. It didn't affect him. Well, I think he actually said it was a good idea. <laughs> so, uh, well, it wasn't, sorry, it wasn't this time last year calendar-wise, but as far as where the season was. Yeah, so <laughs> it's very interesting. It's a tad hypocritical. They're back it? up to sixth, though, after a win today, I believe. Uh, fifth, actually. Fifth, oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. They have the same record as the Knicks. Yeah, yeah. Far out. Yeah, that's huge. It is, it is huge. But, yeah, it, it's, it is so funny how the complaints come from teams that are fighting for that seventh spot or, or certainly fighting for fifth and sixth rather than seventh. So... My thoughts are obviously, yeah, just shut up and play. If you're a defending champion or you're the Mavericks and you can't win one out of two against the Grizzlies, Spurs, or Warriors, do you even deserve to be in the playoffs? Yeah, well. And I'll tell you what, I will say this. One of the the big positives for this playing tournament is that we're actually going to get to see more of the Wizards and and the Warriors. Yes, that is true. So the Wizards have won 13 of their last 16 games. And the Warriors are nine and five in their last 14. And as we've mentioned, Curry is on an absolute tear. Yeah, they actually had to cool him down by turning the lights off in New Orleans today. <laughs> that was really bad timing for him because he was on fire at the time and then went one of 11 after that. Yeah, so, all right. Wow, I didn't see that. But uh, no, look, it, it, it's not a great idea, but I must admit, I'm excited to see what Curry and Westbrook and Beale are going to do in this situation. I think it's it's important to have during COVID times, obviously a lot of teams have been really knocked around by COVID, Dallas included, actually. I think Dallas have lost more games to COVID than anyone, yep. actually. Uh, but I, I don't know. I don't want to see it going forward. I hate the idea of a team that's won five or six more games going down in a one-off elimination game when the NBA playoffs have always been at minimum five games in the first round. But there's been seven-game series in the first round now for, what, nearly 20-odd 20, 20 years? A long time now. Yeah, we'll tell you, yeah. So I just, when there's such a long season, I just don't like the idea of, and I've heard Bill Simmons say, oh, you know, well, what about the teams that have suffered injuries? And it's like, well, where do you draw the line? Mm. You know, if a team suffered injuries and they're bottom of the ladder, do you let them in? Like it's the everyone gets a trophy league anyway. 16 of the 30 teams make the fucking playoffs as it is. Now we're saying 20 of the 30 teams are in. Like, crikey. But we lost seven games by less than two points. Oh, oh well, oh, let's have a separate playing tournament for teams that can't finish. Team, Yeah, teams that missed game winners. Like. Yeah, look, I don't love it, but 
I suspect that I'm probably in the minority and it's probably here to stay. The Lakers losing in a play-in tournament might be one of the only things that scuttles it in the future because obviously there's a lot of money to be made too. So mm. it's probably going to be here for good. So before we do our Julian Banjo NBA stats, Stewie, I guess we'll reflect as fans who followed teams that didn't have a great weekend. I would argue. I think my team had a great weekend. <laughs> You're tanking. Back on the losing wagon. <laughs> We bloody won a game the other day. Uh, it was disappointing. <laughs> Beating Boston in Boston. Like, what, what's that all about? Yeah, well. So, yeah, I suppose we'll, we'll start off with your boys, Nath. Third biggest margin in the history of the league. Mm. So the Celtics came back from 32 behind. Well, Jason Tatum came back from 32. Down. Yeah, he had a massive 60. 60 points. That's actually the third biggest comeback in the history of the league, trailing only 36. I think it was Utah versus Denver. And then the Sacramento Kings came back from 35 down against the Chicago Bulls. Whew. So, yeah it's, a, yeah, it's a huge comeback. And I'm really conflicted as a Spurs fan because part of me wants us to keep losing and get a better draft pick, but the other part of me wants Pop to keep winning so that he can move to the top of the coaching table. So I guess everything is win-win for me as a Spurs fan. Yeah. But a big loss to the Thunder was good for you as your tanking aspirations. Are- well, as I said before, I was out in Mandurah, went out for a walk with mum and dad on the, the Sunday morning and pulled the phone out just to have a quick look and see how the Thunder were going. And Shock horror, we were down by over 50 against Indiana. It got out to 67 at one stage. And for people who aren't aware, the all-time record for the biggest loss is 68. So we were pretty close there for a while. And it was looking pretty shaky. Ended up getting it back to 57, but that is obviously a, a huge loss. And, yeah, we don't want to lose by that many, but... Certainly, I'm all for adding as many losses in and working our way towards a, a top three or four pick. I would be thinking the same if I were you, definitely. Is it dueling stats time? It is. So the Wizards and Pacers the other day featured 17 double-figure scorers tied for most in a game in NBA history and the first time it's happened since 1984. Wow. That is pretty cool. Speaking of them, we've obviously got to talk about Russell Westbrook. Oh, Yeah. So he now holds the record for the most wins with a triple-double in NBA history, passing Oscar Robertson's mark of 131 during the week. He now needs just four to pass him on the all-time list. And yesterday, he became the first player in NBA history with multiple recorded games with 20 or more rebounds and assists. Oh, he had, what, 24 assists the other day? 24 assists, 21 rebounds and 14 points. How's this? If he has donuts for the rest of the season, zero points, rebounds, assists for the rest of the season, he'll still average a triple-double. That is nuts. That is nuts. That is nuts. Chris Paul recorded his third game with at least 20 points, 15 assists, and zero turnovers. Now, turnovers have been tracked since the 1977-78 season. Only Steve Nash is the other player to do it. He's done it three times. That is nuts. Now, we did talk about, obviously, the massive loss that the Thunder had. How's this? The Sacramento Kings lost to the Utah Jazz at home by 49 on Wednesday. Biggest home loss in franchise history. In that game, they gave up 154 points, one shy of the most the Kings have ever conceded as part of a 155 to 143 loss to the Golden State Warriors in March of 1989. Mm. Danny Ainge had 45 for the Kings that night. Mitch Richmond had 47 for the Warriors, who had seven foot four Ralph Sampson and seven foot seven Manute Bowl on the bench that night. Jeez. Now, we've harped on recently about how good Zion is, but he has 10 games this season with 30 or more points on 70% shooting. The only other guys to do that since 1983, Shaquille O'Neal, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, and Kevin McHale. What do those guys all have in common? Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. Duncan Robinson is the fastest player to reach 500 career threes in NBA history, just 152 games. 
biggest key will be how he goes from here because obviously Steph Curry accelerated after that. Oh, yeah. Well, he's not going to catch him. <laughs> Lonzo Ball joined Jason Kidd, Antoine Walker, and Russell Westbrook as the only guys in history with eight threes, eight rebounds, eight assists, and three steals in a game the other day. Mm, nice. Mm. Plenty of career ahead of him too. And, of course, Carmelo moved into 10th all-time on the scoring list. He was out of the league a few years ago, so that's a magnificent performance by him and a testament to a great career. He's kind of the forgotten guy from that draft, even though he's obviously so famous. When you think about it, he never obviously had the fanfare that LeBron and Dwayne Wade did, never won the titles that Chris Bosh did. He's the only guy in the top 10 of the scoring that doesn't have an MVP, and he and Carl Malone are the only guys that don't have championships in that top 10. So, mm. But, uh, yeah, he's had an amazing career. He'll probably leapfrog Moses Malone. I feel like the New York Knicks move was what hurt his legacy a bit. Obviously, he was on that great Syracuse team that won the national championship, and I love that team, and I was really rooting for him, and I really liked him in the early days until that Knicks move. If he just waited till the offseason, they wouldn't have had to trade all their assets to get him. Mm-hmm. And to finish things off, we'll go with Steph Curry. He hit his 300th three-pointer of the season today, breaking his own record for the quickest to that number in a season in just 58 games. Mm. He joined Ray Allen as well as the only guys to have hit 2,800 three-pointers in their career, and he now sits just 172 short of Allen for the all-time record, and he'll probably break that early next season. Oh, yeah, almost certainly. I saw a great thing on Twitter that showed every single three he's ever hit in his career, shot shot. Jeez. It was great. This <laughs> is just like a green court. <laughs> yeah, it was magnificent. Wow. So we're recording on a... Wednesday rather than a Tuesday this week, Stewie. Sometimes life gets in the way, but that meant that we were able to watch the second half of the Wildcats and United together today, and the 11-game winning streak by Melbourne is now over. It is. It was a a very good balanced performance by the Wildcats and not a a great game shooting-wise, certainly for United. Jock Landau was in foul trouble for most of the game. so Scotty Hobson doesn't seem to have his legs under him. He was airballing shots left, right, and centre. Chris Goulding was throwing passes that were really shit for lack of a better phrase. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to the next couple of games that we play against Melbourne United to close out the season. Well, there's two more encounters still to come, including one next week. So they don't have number one locked up. Not yet. Now, there's a couple of other things going on. Look, firstly, the Illawarra Hawks have severed ties with Dang Adele. No real surprise there. Not given his stats, but if you'd thought of that prior to the season, you would have fallen off your chair because he came with huge fanfare. Yeah, and look, I wasn't the only one that had major... Oh, no, plenty of people, yeah, yeah. Corey Homicide-Williams yeah, had, oh, yeah, had yeah. him leading the league in scoring, so yep. certainly uh, not just me. It, look, we thought he would probably take a lot of the pressure off Tyler Harvey and Justinian Jessup, but he's done nothing. The rest of the league's kind of in a bit of a holding pattern between sort of three and eight. So if you look at Melbourne United and, and Perth, a clear one-two at the moment. Sydney have won four of their last five and sitting third, but... Yeah, if you look at the last five games, South East Melbourne, Illawarra, Brisbane, Adelaide and New Zealand all have a losing record, mm. which is not great. No one's really jumping up and taking that no, spot. No. So, I mean, who, who are you feeling right now? Oh, I suspect it'll probably be the Phoenix, but I think that if they had a better running start, Adelaide or New Zealand would have had a, a pretty good shot. Mm. New Zealand's looking pretty good of late. They're dangerous. Yeah, yeah. they really are. They could, uh, yeah, you're right. They could disappoint a few teams down the stretch. Now, Keanu Pinder's had a pretty decent run of late. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, as I say, I watched a lot of Adelaide games lately and he, he's playing pretty well. Now, unfortunately, part of that running is sometimes you slip. 
yes. on, on decals. He's yes, yes. quite vocal on Twitter about his displeasure when it comes to these decals. Yeah, and this is after earlier in the season, players were basically gagged. So he's obviously come out and... And that's one of the reasons why they say Giddy should shut down because they're worried about him getting injured. He's already slipped on a decal once. Luckily, he bounced back up. But look, Pinder slipped four times in a mm. game against Brisbane the other day. That's a lot. Mm. The biggest issue seems to be the MBL decal that's in the charge zone underneath the basket. Why the fuck does that even need to be there? Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? I mean, you could see why a professional league would want their logo to be on the court, but Maybe don't put it in a place where a lot of bodies are always falling and there's a lot of perspiration. Yeah. Maybe put it on the wing somewhere. Well, literally anywhere else. I mean, yeah. you can have it dotted all up and down the baselines. Yeah. But, yeah, you're basically advertising the thing that people are watching. So it's not super important for me. And, and as you say, the benefit versus the risk is just it's too big. way too high. Yeah. And I guess we've buried the lead here, Shree. Hey, there it is. <laughs> Will Magne could be coming to Perth if Brisbane allow that to happen. I think they'd be crazy not to accept the buyout money because they're not going to make the playoffs anyway, so you may as well take the money. His rights are only for the rest of this season. It's of course, we would say that as Perth fans. Yeah, but yeah we, it's certainly unlikely that he would be held up by Brisbane. You're, you're right. They're going to struggle to make the playoffs. And apparently he was pissed off with them because apparently they didn't let his clearance go through early enough and he nearly missed the start of training camp. Within the NBA. So he's not happy with the Brisbane Bullets. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously a massive signing. He's a you know potential defensive player of the year sort of guy in terms of his his abilities. He's actually turned into a really nice stretch four. Yes. Yep. So look, you may not upset the apple cart and put him into the, the starting five if he does join the Wildcats. No, well, Mooney had a huge game today against United. So no, I wouldn't put him in the starting five initially. But he would dominate that second unit. So yeah, unfortunately for Tom Jervis, he's been a great servant for the club, but I think that would probably be almost the end of his playing. Cause yeah, maybe him or one of the, the development younger guys because it does help to have that third big. Uh, but, yeah, it, yeah. You just can't go past a signing as big as this. Oh, no, not at all. And and hopefully he qualifies for the playoffs because you need to play nine games. Yep. So it all needs to be sorted out pretty soon. He should be ready to play in the next game, all going well. And look, the Wildcats do have a pretty decent recent history of picking up guys late in the season. You look at guys like Plumlee. Plumlee, yep. You know, Bryce Cotton came in quite Yeah, late yeah, that's season. true. So yeah, yeah. We generally yeah. pick up these big players late in the season and then go on and win the championship. So fingers crossed. Indeed. And just a quick shout out to Andre Lamanis as we finish this up. He'll be leaving the Brisbane Bullets at the end of the season to take a well-paid job in Japan. Okay. He was actually a member of the championship team in 1992 with the Southeast Melbourne Magic. Yeah, I had no memory of that at all. So he kind of got many minutes. No, many I don't think minutes, he did, no. But uh, yeah, I guess was he? he's not an import then. Maybe New Zealand players were allowed to play as locals back then. Because who are their imports have been? Bruce Bolden and Adonis Jordan or something. Yeah, or maybe, or, or, maybe, maybe Robert Rose. Oh, Robert Rose, of course. Yeah, but uh, but no, look, well done on a great career and obviously congrats on the three championships in 2011, 12 and 13 with New Zealand. Indeed. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week goes to Bangladesh bowler Tajul Islam and one of the most ridiculous dismissals you will ever see from the second test against Sri Lanka and Palakali. Now, before we get into that, I just want to say this has been a ridiculously entertaining series so far. Lots and lots, lots of, of runs, massive <laughs> scores and some amazing stroke play as well. But now back to Taijul Islam or perhaps Untai. Ah, very well put, yes. So being a bowler, he's not exactly a prize scout, but you still need to get him out. Usually 
Facing Saranga Lakmal, he pushed back deep into his crease to push a ball out to the point region, but he's obviously not done his shoes up properly. His foot's popped out of the back of his shoe and slid up onto the stumps. Mm. Out hit wicket. Mm. Something that your parents generally teach you by the age of six. It's cost him his wicket. <laughs> so for being unable to do something most kids can do and keep his shoe on, all I can say is, Liveki Niraya, bloody hell. Bloody hell. At risk of reusing my materials, Julia, we kind of have buried the lead again. We did want to start with Josh Giddy because of the uh, buzz. And we do love our basketball, but, gee, there's some big stuff going on in the cricket world, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, geez, we spoke about it at length last week, but things have gone from bad to worse in India. Yeah. I mean, where do you start, I guess? You know, the season has been suspended indefinitely at this stage. They're circling September for a restart. Good luck to them. So, like, the month before the T20 World Cup supposed to Well, be. they want to prove that that can go ahead, mm, I think. I, I doubt it. Yeah. I, well, I'm worried about the Olympics, too. I'm worried about a few major events yeah, coming true. up. So, I guess there's been a few things that have caused this. So, so Varun Chakravarthi and Sandeep Warrior from the Kolkata Knight Riders and three of the Chennai Super Kings off-field staff returned positive tests. Yeah, Widom and Saha now, too. That's kind of what started it. And, yep, yeah, then Widom and Saha from the Sunrisers Hyderabad had a positive test as well. It's also now being reported that Michael Hussey has tested positive. Yeah, yeah, coaching staff, yeah. So there's a lot of players and a lot of off-field guys there. There was also five of the ground staff in Delhi who came back as positive and they all worked on some of those games. So suffice to say the Indian bubble is not good. Well, no, it's not. And there's talk that they're going to create this bubble in Mumbai to ensure that the competition can finish. But the situation is so dire there right now. There's no justification for finishing this. There really isn't. Like when you think about these players, okay, they'll probably get looked after quite well. And, you know, unfortunately it is another reminder of the millions of people over there that don't have access to facilities for self-isolation. Hundreds of millions of people. Well, yes, this is very true. Yeah. Um, They don't have the ability to just not work for two weeks. No, no. So, like, I love my cricket, but this is not the time for that sort of thing. Oh, no. I read a quote of a guy today who's working in the crematoriums and said that they were provided with PPE, but he said it's too hot. I can't can't wear it while I'm burning people. And he was almost resigned to the fact that death was imminent. It's just so sad. And and this is a 20-year-old man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's It's heart-wrenching. life ahead of him. Yeah. And I guess, you know, using another example, I guess, of, of how scary this whole thing is, the comments from Michael Slater throughout the week, he has since buggered off to the Maldives, which is obviously not a, a bad place to go. But obviously he is just trying to avoid being stuck in India while all this stuff is going on. Oh, you can understand why people would want to leave if they have the means in order to do so. Mm. But he started a war of words with the Prime Minister now, of yeah, course. Yeah, well, that's it. He's, he's just actually come out on Twitter and said, you know, maybe Scott Morrison can get in his private jet and come over and yes. see the dead people in the streets. Yes, and-, and I saw that there was a gentleman called Gary Newman, now not of the Cars uh, uh-huh, fame, okay. but he's launched legal action saying that the current India bans are unconstitutional. Interesting. Mm. It's it's a tricky one. I mean, there's obviously there's so many Australians overseas who would love to come home right now, including a good friend of ours who's been stuck in Spain in lockdown for about 400 days now. Mm. And you hate to see cricketers getting special treatment, but you, you kind of almost feel like if the government's given them special permission to travel for that tournament, then the same sort of consideration maybe needs to be permitted for them coming back. Well, I just think all citizens should be allowed to repatriate. Hmm. including those that are... Well, I suppose that's what the 14-day quarantine's all about, isn't yeah. it? So if it's been done right, and look, there have been some leaks. Unfortunately, that's probably what has scared Morrison into making this decision. But 
um, you know, and I, I probably I said last week that I thought it was overdue, but having had enough time to really sit there and ponder it, it maybe isn't quite the right decision and probably should have been handled a little bit better. Mm. So there's no easy answers with this stuff. So that's yeah. There's not. The only real easy answer for me though is spend the billions of dollars that they're spending on the IPL to fix this country because oh yeah, it, yeah. It's so important that they get this. Yeah, well, out. I've read people saying that these stadiums could be used as pop-up hospitals, yep. for example. Yeah. Yeah. Far more important. Yeah. Then one person probably worth sparing a small thought for is David Warner. He was given the news just after he could have flown home that Hyderabad was stripping him of his cap. Giving him the ass, yeah. And even worse, it looked like he wouldn't play again before yeah. this tournament was shut down. Yep. So he probably could have come home on that flight with Adam Zampa and Kane Richardson instead of being stuck on the one with Kane Williamson in the hazmat suit. Yes, yes. And... What happened when Kane Williamson was made captain? They still got smashed. Mm -hmm. Joss Butler made 124 of 64 and Rajasthan beat them by 55 runs. So mm. whoop-de-doo. Yeah, well, the results are almost inconsequential now. Well, absolutely, they are. But <laughs> just, you know, poor Davey Warner. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he shared a uh, thing on Twitter that his daughter drew for him as well. Mm. Come home, daddy kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. And just going back to the fact that the Sheffield Shield is an absolute afterthought once again, Stewie, Cricket Etc. had a kind of pop-up emergency podcast today to talk about the dramas in the IPL. So the Shield season was still going when they had their last podcast episode, as I mentioned last week. No mention today. Could have done it. No. Nah. No. Nah. What for? Yeah. Talk about Joe Burns' 20. <laughs> and anyway, back home... Weird story for Stewie McGill. This, this has got to be one of the most bizarre stories I've heard in a long time. So it's come out that Stuart McGill was kidnapped a couple of weeks back. And, and I have to say, why is it kidnapping when the guy's 50? <laughs> Shouldn't it be adult napping or some other name? Anyway, but no, he's had an argument with a guy named Marino Soteropoulos, who happens to be the brother of his girlfriend. Oh, yeah. And it's been alleged that he's been bundled into a car, driven to a property in Brindley over an hour away, and then assaulted and threatened with a firearm. But then he was supposedly released an hour or two later. It's nuts. It is nuts. And, it's very bizarre. And the whole thing is that it's been alleged that it was to extort money from him to pay off some sort of drug debt. So, I mean, we can't comment because it's going to be before the Yeah, we've got to be careful with this stuff. But uh, I guess the most recent thing that I can think of is some of the shit Ben Cousins got in <laughs> as far as sports <laughs> yeah. stars Dealing with unfavourable characters. I mean, even he was probably never kidnapped. No. So No, he just jumped out of his car and jumped in the Swanee River, leaving his girlfriend behind the wheel. This, this is, honestly, this is a crazy story. And I think the next few days we might hear a few more details coming out about it. But They might turn into a doco one day. <sighs> wow. Four Corners episode. Mm, nuts. And now, this week in sport history. May the 4th, 1869, the Cincinnati Reds play their first official game as the first professional baseball team against the Great Western Baseball Club, winning 45-9. to nine. <laughs> Okay. That's a bloody football score. <laughs> Nearly a week later, they took on the Kekyonga Club from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and won 86-8. to eight. Wow. This, these scores are insane. They actually finished their first season 57-0 against National Association of Baseball Players teams, and unsurprisingly were... The, the bee's knees. Of course they were. They absolutely were. May 6, 1954, English athlete Roger Bannister became the first person to ever run a sub-four-minute mile, recording three minutes, 59 seconds, point four at the Ifley Road track in Oxford. It took less than two months for the Australian John Landy to eclipse that mark in Turku, Finland, and it's actually been bettered another 17 times since, with the record now belonging to Moroccan Hicham El Gujarov. 
Fucking hell. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> At three minutes, 43 and 13, which is now sat for nearly 22 years. Apologies to Mr. El Gouraj. Yes, big apologies. May the 6th, 1988, after getting thumped 6-1 by the Boston Bruins, New Jersey Devils coach Jim Schoenfeld accosts referee Don Kaharski getting in his way and then yelling at him in the players' tunnel. The transcript is brutal. Oh, it sure is. Kaharski, oh, you're gone now. You're gone. You won't coach another. Schoenfeld, you fell and you know it. You know you fell. I didn't touch you. <laughs> Kaharski, you're gone. I, I hope it's on tape. Schoenfeld, good, because you fell, you fat pig. Have another donut. <laughs> <laughs> but this yeah. is where it gets really crazy. Hours before game four, it was announced that Schoenfeld was suspended for at least one game pending investigation. But general manager Lou Lamoriello called Judge John A. Conte, a fan of the Devils, to ask him to put a restraining order in against the NHL so Schoenfeld could coach that night. Mm. Being Mother's Day, Conte put him on to Bergen County Judge James Madden, who heard the case from his apartment. Very interesting. Mm. The Devils received a court order 25 minutes before the game to basically say that he could coach. So the referees and the backup referee responded by refusing to work game four. Now, you have to remember, this is before the internet properly came in and also before mobile phones. And the referees obviously sticking with their own solidarity. So it actually took over an hour for them to organise a replacement because obviously they didn't have any way of contacting the league. So the referee that night was Paul McInnes, the manager of a local skating rink. Mm. Just a random guy, basically. Mm. And it's a playoff game. This is this is a playoff game. Jeez. The Devils won game four, three to one. Schoenfeld was suspended for game five, and the Bruins won the series in seven games. Fascinating. May 10th, 2015, LA Clippers center DeAndre Jordan sets a record for the most free throw attempts in a half of a playoff game with 28 in a 128-95 to win over the Houston Rockets. This was Hackershack at its worst, with Jordan going 14 of 34 in the game. Dwight Howard fouled out in 18 minutes. Clint Capella had four fouls in 12 minutes. And Costa Papanicolau, haven't thought about him for a while, no. had four in nine minutes. Jordan actually attempted more free throws than the entire Houston team, a team that included James Harden. That says a lot about it. That was a hard game to watch. This week in sport history. So there always seems to be so much going on in the footy world, Stewie. We've got jumper wars between Collingwood and Port. Are the Lions back in the winner's circle again? They had a massive win over the power without the former Brownlow medalist. So that was a very impressive win indeed. Benny Brown got a win against his old side, but not without a scare. But first, we got to talk about tips. Do How'd we, you go? Do we have to? Yeah, we do. <laughs> I know what you got. Two out of nine. Two, Stewie. Two. Oh. It's honestly, it's rounds like this one that make me question why I even bother. Yeah. St Kilda and Melbourne, which Melbourne was a gimme in hindsight. They were the only only two I got right. Yeah, wow. I even changed my tip. I had West Coast and I changed it to Fremantle because I thought I'm going that shit. I may as well hedge my bets. Well, yeah. Basically force West Coast to win. <laughs> and it worked. Well, I had Freo too because I thought there's never a better time for them to win given that there was no crowd. They're playing at Optus. The Eagles still have Shuey out. So I don't think that was a terrible, I mean, the result showed it was a terrible tip, but it didn't seem to be a terrible tip before the We'll match. talk about that a little bit more in a, yeah, in a yeah. couple of minutes. But yeah, not a great round for me, unfortunately. How about yourself? I had five. So oh. I wasn't wasn't too disappointed with that. Uh, one of the only teams I get wrong every week are the Swans. Hmm. So I had Freo, I had the Swans. And then I guess I had a bit more faith in Collingwood, even though the Suns have gone all right the last few weeks. I thought because it was at the G, Collingwood would probably get the win. Did you know that the Gold Coast Suns chant came out during that game at the MCG? 
It's probably Pies fans doing it ironically. Well, there was only 24,000 people then. Yeah. Second lowest crowd for the Pies at the MCG since like 1988. Well, there is the COVID stuff going on. But yeah, yeah, that shows how well they're going at the moment. No excuse. And the biggest news for them at the moment is their jumper. Mm, Jesus Christ. This is an absolute farce. It feels once again like the AFL. They're just not willing to let go of it being the VFL entirely. Is Mm. that kind of how you feel about it? Um, Well, I don't know. I'm a bit conflicted about this. I think... I think that they should at least be able to wear it for the showdowns against the Crows. So I'm okay with them wearing it two times a year. Other than that, yeah, maybe Collingwood should stick with Why the black the and white. What the fuck did Collingwood get to decide this, though? Who made them the boss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a game that doesn't even involve them. That's what makes it so ridiculous, is this has nothing to do it's with It's not a clash, yeah. yeah. It, it's not. So I, I think the, the real easy way to, to get around this is for them to just do what so many of the other sports do. At the start of the season, the home team decides what jerseys they want to wear in each round. You've got Indigenous rounds, you've got Heritage rounds, whatever the league and the club decides on. Well, the Heritage round was a really interesting thing because apparently the only reason Eddie agreed to it as president in the first place is because he knew that round was going to get scrapped. So Koshi was not happy about that at all. And he called it akin to insider trading. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Absolutely. It's interesting. So that's all you've got to do. Then the opposition team decides what they want to wear and an official from the league decides if there's a clash, mm. like what that happened with the Collingwood-Essendon match, and exactly. that day, yeah. which was an obvious clash. Like every other sport out there, teams have home and away strips. Most teams have four or five different jerseys. It In the NBA, they have 758. Yeah, yeah, and they're all different colours. Yeah. And half of them are yellow. Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. It just it does not need to be this hard. But mark my words, the 23rd of May, Port Adelaide versus Collingwood. There are going to be fireworks. Oh, yeah, there will. Now, the league said if you wear the prison bar, you will be docked for premiership points. So they're obviously not going to do it. Because no. you don't want you don't just want to give away a win. So they need every win they can get effectively. But, uh, yeah, they'll, it, it could be a testy match. This is a really poor call from the league, quite frankly. So for the second week in a row, and indeed it's going to happen again this upcoming week, the Tigers played on a Friday night in a blockbuster game. They had a win over the Dogs. I did have the tip. It was looking shaky at halftime, but they ran over the top of them in the second half. It's looking more than shaky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, real statement game by the Tigers, just in case people really thought they were cooked. They did look done at halftime. The Bulldogs took everything the Tigers threw at them in the first half, up 22 before a late goal to Shea Bolton. Who's yeah, playing very well. He is, but the Tigers just went to another level in the second half. It's the sort of thing that we're used to seeing from Richmond. Nine goals to two after halftime. You know, I went to do the dishes just before the second half started. Five minutes later, I sit down and the game's tied. So, not oh, great. And I think the lack of Tim English around the ground for those pack marks, which is why I tipped Richmond. I knew he was a big out for them, and I think that did affect the outcome a little. They missed him. I did hear an interesting stat that should worry Dogs fans a little bit, though. They rank 18th in the competition in one-on-one wins in their defence. Mm-hmm. So that's not good for a team that wants to go deep into the finals this year. No. If they're going up against sides that have big forward lines like Richmond do, like the Eagles, and if you look at Brisbane as well, they've got some big guys, Charlie Dixon for Port. This is something that is, yeah, is a bit of a worry. They've been fine until now because not many guys have been able to get to their their back line. But when a team gets a bit of a run on, they could be exposed very easily. Mm. Not good. Oh, Stewie. It seems that uh, the umpires didn't open their present that we gave them for Christmas in July last year. Yeah, that tape measure's still in the box. They have absolutely no idea what a mark is or isn't. So, yeah, look, I mean, obviously a big win for the Swans. A little bit lucky, you could say. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. But obviously the big talking point for this one is the incorrect call of not 15 on the mark, that mark taken by Jeremy Cameron. It's 
Can I just rewind a bit, Shui? Yes. This was the worst officiated game I've seen all season. They were so inconsistent with the marks all night long. Clearly, the league has has made a point of emphasising 15 metres for marks, which is great. It's been creeping into the media more and more, more commentators talking about, oh, that's not, that's not 15 metres. This passage of play sums it up before the Jeremy Cameron one. So I guess there's two, there's two passages that sum it up, but this is the one that the people aren't talking about. In the first quarter, now I wish I could remember who it was. I didn't note it down, but in the first quarter, one Swans player kicks to another Swans player, goes for about five metres. Umpire says, not 15, play on. Well done. You've done your job. That's correct. Congrats. You're yep, all right. Yep. But that Swans player, with his very next kick, kicks to another player the exact same distance. Exact. Almost pinpoint. And what does the umpire do? He calls it a mark. Oh, dear. What sort of message does that send? Seriously, in the same passage of play, two kicks, the same length. One's not a mark, one's a mark. I mean, what the fuck are they thinking? What are they doing? So anyway, okay, so that sets the table for what happened later in the game with Jeremy Cameron. So basically, there's about 10 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Wild kick out of the pack by one of the Geelong players. Jeremy Cameron goes up and takes what looks like a really basic chess mark right on the goal line, right next to the point, point post. Point post, yeah. Play on, play on, not 15. Yeah, not 15, play on. Now, it's been determined <laughs> that not only was this obviously wrong, the ball actually went 21.8 metres. Yeah, they measured Which is it. way off. But the umpire started calling play on, not 15, when the ball had travelled 9.2 metres, so less than half the journey. This is the issue that I have. If they're calling this before the ball gets there, how do they know? There might be a big, well, of course. big gust of wind might come in and, and push it further or of course. it up. Yeah. That's, that's absurd. Yeah. They, ne- they need a ball that, like, is a certain colour and then it changes colour when it's past 15 minutes. Changes to green or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, I, honestly, I would rather them see the entire journey of the ball then make the call as it's about to land. Well, that's just fucking common sense. And, and it gets rid of prior opportunity. Uh, unbelievable. Plain and simple. Unbelievable. Having said that, I doubt that he would have converted that from the boundary because, I mean, okay, he's a left footer. It's the right pocket for him. Well, a a lot of the commentators seem to think he would have kicked it. It's a very, very tight But you reckon the siren would have gone off, which means he would have been on that tight angle. He would have been up against the fence and couldn't have come off his line. So Couldn't have played on it. I I don't think he would have kicked it. Then the other part of the luck for the Swans from the ensuing ball in, the ball lands with James Rowbottom just before the final siren. He basically dives on top of it. And I dare say an extra second or two, he would probably have been pinged for holding the ball. Yeah, I think it was the right call or the right non-call in this situation. I think you're right. The siren sounded and he was fine. He had a funny game, James Robottom. He did some really brilliant things and he did some really silly things too. But he's an exciting young player for the sport. Very, very nearly a couple of seconds away. Yeah, yeah. Probably costing you guys a win. And and credit to Scotty because in the press conference, he was really diplomatic about it all. He said that's not why they lost. They did have eight more scoring shots. It's hard to complain too much when you have eight more scoring shots and you lose by four. Yeah, and he's obviously very, very much aware of the, the fact Brisbane that game. The Brisbane game, when yeah, they, they yeah. should have. So they're one and one as far as dodgy umpiring is concerned. Speaking of Brisbane, are they back? Well, big win, as I said, without Lockie Neal. So okay, it was at home, but Power are not a shitty team. I have to say, this is probably every bit as concerning for Port as it is impressive for Brisbane. Well, I hate to understate you, Port a bit like the Eagles, really good at home, but. Flat track bullies. It's quite possible. Mm. I mean, their forwards got absolutely nothing going all game. They kicked five goals, 14. So not only were they not able to generate a decent amount of goals, but they were incredibly inaccurate throughout the game. 
Harris Andrews and Grant Birchall were an absolute brick wall in this one. They could barely get the ball into their forward 50. Charlie Cameron was back to his usual live wire. He even cranked out the motorcycle oh, of at one stage. Of course. But it was interesting to see that Hipwood and Danaher both exited the forward 50 as much as they could and left him one-on-one, and he just dominated. So it was nice to see him back to that all-Australian sort of player and yeah, it seems that Lockie Neal was the one that was holding them back. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Kelly finally had a good game for the Eagles, about bloody time with all the money they're paying. Yeah, 42 touches, 22 contested of those, nine tackles, 13 clearances. I think for me, though, the most exciting part of this was having seven guys kicking multiple goals and the performance of some of the younger guys. If you look at who's missing, Shuey, Yo, Ryan, McGovern, Barris, Hearn, that's six of the oh, top, yeah, some top big 18. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, premiership players. Yeah, so having guys like Josh Rotham, who was sensationally controlled the centre-half back line perfectly, 12 marks and 17 touches. Jared Brander and Harry Edwards were excellent as well. Harry Edwards was smashed by Matt Tabernett early in the game and just kind of worked back into it. It was a real shootout early, wasn't it? It was. It's a shame it didn't continue the whole match. Well, Tabernett actually didn't kick a goal after the seven-minute mark of the second quarter. It looked like he was going to go and for a bag. And at that stage, bag. he had three or four, didn't he? Three. Yeah, three, It looked yeah. like he was going to go for a bag. And But yeah, good win for the Eagles. They've got a, a pretty easy four weeks coming up. Should be looking to consolidate at eight and three by the time that's all done. And, and, it, and it'll be another round where both WA teams are out of the state because... Brisbane and Freo have done a little trade. They're playing each other again in round 21. So given there's been some lockdowns around here lately, Freo have decided to fly to Brisbane this week just to be safe. A good move by all parties. So I was listening to the North Melbourne and the D's game on the radio, Stu, and it was sounding like by the end of the round, we might have had no more undefeated teams, but the Demons did come good at the end. I was nearly in tears when I saw the halftime score on this. Because <laughs> keep in mind at that stage, I was, you like, had no tips. I was like one out of six. Saturdays, was, man. Was, oh, this Saturday's going to be shit too. Every day, honestly. <laughs> I mean, we knew that Melbourne would ultimately win this, but yeah, that Tassie trip is quite tough. It's a, it's a tough trip. Well, the, traditionally, they've been good in Tassie too. Hmm. Melbourne top of the table, though, for the first time since round three of 2005. The usual suspects for them, but Cossie Pickett, man, he is the most exciting player in the league right now. He's just scary, depending on what well, he's either exciting or scary, depending on who you're barracking for, basically. <laughs> but a couple of other big bits of news, though, to come out of here. A bit of sour news for Melbourne with Adam Tomlinson suffering a torn ACL and yeah. being done for the year. He was playing his best footy of his career. Yeah, so that was real sad. Real loss for them there. Some good news. Christian Petrarch has signed on with the club until 2029 on a, a six million dollar man, nine hundred thousand a year. Yep, not, not bad at yep. all. Yep. Well, he'll probably win the Brownlow, so it's oh, a good investment. Absolutely, it's it's the best move they could have possibly made. And the salary caps tipped to increase next season too. Oh, so that helps. But the other huge thing to come out of this game is the incident involving Bailey Frisch. Yes. Now, first things first. He has been brilliant for them this year. Kicked six on the weekend. But a high elbow fend-off on Tom Powell, that is a real problem. Mm, didn't look good. This is another one of those ones that sets a really dangerous precedent. And like The AFL 360 guys absolutely sounded off on this, and they're spot on. There's a huge difference between fending off with an open palm and fending off with an elbow. Oh, yeah. The don't argue is very different to an elbow in the head. Like, if this isn't a week, I think it just sends the wrong message yeah, to I was everyone out there. a bit dumbfounded, I'll be honest. And I dare say that leads into more tribunal misery. Yeah. Or uh, head scratches. Yeah, Sydney Swan, Paddy McCartan. So he's basically sucker punched Aaron Black in the head. In the VFL. In the VFL, we should say, yeah. Yes. And gets five matches. Yes. Really? Well, it's terrible. He should have got more. The thing that saved him was the outcome. He wasn't even concussed, let alone a broken jaw or anything. But it shouldn't matter. 
we're trying to get these horrible punches out of the game. It should have been more than five, definitely. Do, do I even need to say it, Nath? What? This is exactly the same as Andrew Gaff. Oh, uh, this. It should have been more than five. Definitely should have been. This deserves more. the exact same. Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. I agree. It's it, the only outcome that's different is the injury, lack of injury. Mm. But that shouldn't matter. It, should, it really shouldn't matter. It's all about the intent. Yep. Did you see that in his defence, he listed that his blood sugar was low, which made him more irritable because he is a diabetic, and the gel that he had consumed to raise his blood sugar hadn't kicked in? It's funny. I heard Tom Brown, who's the Triple M footy news expert, and he said that he's also a type 1 diabetic, and he actually said that it's the only time he gets aggro is when he's low. He's like, I'm not making excuses, and then he proceeded to make an excuse. <laughs> so it's it's interesting. But, no, it's it's not good enough. If you haven't taken your gel early enough, that's on you. Yeah. It's got, you know, figure it out. Dude, we have guys playing in Ramadan who are fasting. Yeah. For Christ's sake. Basher Hawley for Richmond, Kyrie Irving in the NBA for Brooklyn. Like, no, a, I'm yeah, sorry. It's yeah. not an excuse. Give me a break. It's honestly. not an excuse. Should have been eight weeks. Just get it right, AFL. Protect the fucking head. Amen. And after a sour note, we'll finish on a nice note. Great debut for Jesse Hogan down at GWS. He is known amongst Freo fans as Jesse Nogan. But he was certainly yesy this weekend, wasn't he? Yes. And it's it, look, it's great to see GWS playing some great footy at the yes. moment as well. Yeah, yeah. So they've won three of their last four. But yes, yeah, so great to see Jesse kicking four goals in his debut. And I tell you what, it just all comes down to the fact that he's in a great situation for himself. Jeremy Cameron leaves, the whole forward line is open for him. So I, I hope that he has a big year. Toby Green's re-signed for them too, which is good news very, for them. Very, very good news for him. All right, Stuart, you know what that music means. What are you at for? So much this week. <laughs> a couple of massive two-game swing games coming up in the race for the sixth seed in the NBA playoffs, amongst others, the Warriors-Pelicans, Lakers-Trailblazers, and the Wizards-Pacers rematch on Sunday. Also, amped to see our Melbourne United fair against South East Melbourne in a couple of days after Perth handled them this evening. Yes. And oddly, Gold Coast and Secure in the AFL. How about yourself? Well, I'm off to the Wildcats on Sunday, all things being equal. So hopefully the lockdowns will not be enforced and I'll be able to see the Wildcats against New Zealand, who we've struggled against of late. They've been our bogey team. Until next week, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.